and welcome to Movie Go Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme, you know it, is Around the World. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for Around the World, the person who picked it this week, David Luzader. How are you? Oh, I am. Uh, I'm doing well as long as my elaborate triple crossed plot to rob a rich woman of her money goes well. And so far, it's going great. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I mean, teaching salary at a certain point, you have to, you know, have an elaborate plot to you rob to somebody. Start, you got to start <laughs> scamming people somewhere. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, if we're all going to scam you, you got to kind of <laughs> skim a little off the top for yourself. I, I have. I have teach. I have students ask me all the time for money, and I'm like, "Where do you think? Where would that even come from?" <laughs> this is like the same students when my wife was teaching in her early 20s, and they're like, "We don't know if you're like 20 or 40 because age means nothing to us. We're 15." Yeah, they have no idea. Yeah, when your wife was in her early 20s, like two years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's not that long. She's in her mid 20s now. Uh, Ooh. Nicole Davis, how are you? Um. Pretty good. I'm going to really have to watch what I say <laughs> just because of the spicy content of this movie. And I guess most of what I have to say can be summed up with, oh, Japan. <laughs> it's Korean, though. It is indeed an erotic thriller <laughs> as described by the film's tagline. So then the the public school teacher over here is the one that picked this film. So <laughs> can't wait till your students find this one. Oh, good lord! If anybody's really got to watch what they say, it's right here. So what we're saying is that no holds barred. We're turning on the NC seventeen rating on Apple <laughs> Podcasts. We're going to talk about it. No, we will be we'll be mildly discreet. That way, you can enjoy or not enjoy the excesses of this movie on your own should you decide to watch it um before we do talk about it i want to remind people that next week is you did this to us that means in the real world outside of our recording schedule you voted on this just in the last couple of days so voting is closed however if you would like to vote on future ones be sure to keep an eye on us on facebook and twitter that is where you will get notified uh we are watching moonfall oh. which i had not heard about until Yay. I uh, heard about it from a buddy of mine who I know put it in here because they had recently watched it because I know it's just now on HBO. How how good of a buddy are they really? <laughs> I don't know. Truly. The friends I keep. So this has Halle Berry, Michael Pena, and Donald Sutherland in what I can best describe as reverse Armageddon, where like we're going, the, is the moon going toward the moon? I mean, is, is, is no, the moon is going to be crashing into us. Oh, so it is Armageddon. I thought the Earth was going toward the moon. <laughs> now, one of us has actually seen this movie, and I, I will not say much. I don't want to spoil the, the wild twists and turns, but. <laughs> Oh, doggy! This is—it's going to be a fun one to talk about. I'm a little upset. I have to watch it a second time, though. I thought I was free. I thought whatever, uh, whoever I, I angered that cursed me to have to watch this film would have been satisfied, but I guess not. Man, Roland Emmerich films. All right, we'll talk about that next week. But this week we are talking about The Handmaiden. Listener discretion advised. Came out in 2016. 
members of a thieves' den in 1930s occupied Korea craft a plot to steal the inheritance of Hideko's Izumi? Am I right? No. Help me out, Nicole. Didn't you watch the movie, Brett? I did watch the movie. (laughs) Hideko Izumi. Hideko. Hideko Izumi, a Japanese noblewoman living in the custody of her possessive Korean uncle. But there is a hitch in the plan when the thief Suki, acting as the woman's handmaiden, falls in love with her mistress, and Hideko seems to return her affections. Uh, so, David, what? What? Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> this erotic uh, so, thriller. Why did you want to bring it to us? Okay, l- listen. All right. When I saw this movie, um, I still had a little bit of summer left, and I have the Alamo monthly pass, which. I don't use as much as I should, and I'm sure Alamo loves me for it. But I, I was looking at like, okay, what is coming up? Like, what's something I haven't seen that I'm interested in seeing? And I saw this movie on the list, and I didn't really know much about it. I like clicked, read a little bit of the description, looked up and saw I was on a couple lists. I was like, okay, this seems really interesting. Like, let me go see it. And I knew like very little about it. And I and I saw it, and we'll talk about uh, some of sure the spicier content, but. It was also just like, oh, this was a super unexpected movie for me. Like I had not heard of at all, which was uh, kind of surprising and ended up um, enjoying. And I thought would have at the very least be interesting for discussion. It certainly will be. I think Uh, this Nicole, had you seen this before? I had. Yes. Okay. So I was the odd man out here. I had not seen it before. This movie took me like nine viewings to get through. And there's multiple reasons why. One is that I felt like if I wasn't paying very acute attention, I was missing some very important details. This movie is multi-layered to say the least. And I going back and rewatching parts of it, especially as certain twists start to unfold, you start to get a lot more out of it and you start to understand some of the the ways in which the characters are acting when you have that dramatic irony in your back pocket and you know things that the other characters don't know. So that was one of the reasons it took me a while. The other reason it took me a while is because I just I, I found it so dull at times. Like That's why I put in this docket, I don't know if the movie earns its attempted sexiness. And I know I am in the minority here because I know this movie is beloved. And I am certainly going to talk about certain parts that I thought were very cool. But I just couldn't get invested in any of these characters. So... I struggled with it in that regard. I can get into more of that later, but I definitely want to kind of go through our discussion topics first before I lay out why I don't like the characters. Let me say real quick, I know we say this like for a, a lot of movies, but this is a movie that's got some twists. Oh, yeah. Um, it, you have, if you've not seen this movie, I think don't listen to us talk about it. Go, you know, Brett, Brett's opinion, everybody's opinion is valid <laughs> even when it's wrong. Um, so, you know, go, it's on Amazon Prime. Yep. Uh, steal your neighbor's account if you need to. Um, I would say go check out this film, see it for yourself. I, I will say, like, we can talk about all your thoughts, and I do want to, Brett, but I think a little bit like, don't watch it in chunks. Watch this movie mm. in one sitting as much as you can. Cause, like, I, what, I remember, like, the theater experience yeah. to this where I am, like, sat down, I am, I am watching this. And I remember being like an hour into the film and I'm like, what else is going to happen? Like, where else does this go? Right. And then, because it does come to a conclusion at yeah. the, an hour into the movie. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah. And then like the second part kicks in. And I'm like, oh, okay. Before and after their somewhat sham marriage are two very distinctly different movies. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, we'll talk about it. I, I, I liked parts of it. I just, 
I don't know if I loved it as much as the critics seem to. I mean, this movie is beloved amongst critics and fans alike. So I'm willing to admit that different strokes are different folks. And what I might not have loved here is certainly, you know, my own personal experience having watched it. But yeah, I would agree. If you can watch it all in one sitting, definitely do so. We'll call out our first discussion topic, which is like every frame a painting. It's one of those types of movies. I would 100% agree with that, Nicole. It's beautifully shot. And this seems to Mm. be a, a continual thread through the movies I've seen from this director. I think it might just be old boy. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely gorgeously photographed. And it's not just the way it's photographed. It's meticulously color corrected in places. Yeah. Mm. I know most of the shots of Hideko, they washed out her face so that she would appear even paler than her naturally light complexion because she plays a character that almost never goes outside. So she never sees the sun except on brief walks, whereas the actress playing Suki, they kind of pumped her color up a little bit to be more of a, you know, she's a poorer person. She spends more time in the sun. So she she looks like she's worked her whole short life. They also did things like make the shot during the opening when Suki is dri- being driven to the mansion, they make it look like it's sunset as they're approaching. And um, in actuality, it was just, you know, midday. They just decided that they wanted that vibe of the evening coming on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when they get to the asylum, the asylum was actually red brick. And they washed it out completely to look gray. So I just mm-hmm. thought that was... That's really cool. Some amazing color work. Because color is so important in this movie. There's so much green for one thing. And like, I know it's not, you know, visual scenery, but the, the clothing as well to get to see like clothing from this era and the mix kind of of styles of like the Western influence mm. that was kind of happening at that time, like on Japan, which then trickled down onto Korea, but they both, you know, have their own cultural influences in the fashion, like was just really interesting to see. Like I was excited to show this to my fiance. Cause I, I know she loves period pieces and, we haven't gotten to watch a ton of uh, Asian like period pieces. And it was just, yeah, there, there was some really great looking clothes uh, to see here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the first half of this movie that takes place in, in the uncle, you know, the book collectors mansion, uh, it reminded me, and this, it just so happens that this is another recent Asian film we've discussed, but parasite utilizes, the architecture and the stylings of the mansion in that film to make it a centerpiece in its own character. And it very much informs the story mm-hmm. around it. And the movie in Bong Joon-ho, when he was filming it, spent a lot of time lingering on the various pieces of that house where having a- after you've seen it, you feel like you could map it. And I feel like this movie does something somewhat similar with the mansion that she's confined to of the uncles in the sense that it's sprawling and there's multiple houses, you know, it's like, it's like a mini estate more than it really is a mansion. And you feel this incredible insulation that she is feeling by being stuck here. And you start to recognize places in this mansion repeatedly, you know, the rooms where she is taught art by the count and the rooms where she reads and, and works with the uncle and like all these different rooms, you start to just associate with different themes and different tones and it's just a gorgeous 
mansion that's used in a very sinister way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sinister. Uh, certainly, being one word for it, the uncle's such a weird creep. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I want to I want to give a, a shout out to Jin Wung Cho, um, who is not as old as the character is shown in the film, but just like has just such a odd presence every time he's on screen <laughs> he says so little in the film he has so kind of few scenes but you know so much about this guy like he always has that black tongue from the ink and his he's being carried everywhere by somebody with a, with a chair right. strapped on his back <laughs> it's so weird it really is oh my god the black there's this movie there's some sort of thematic thing going on in this movie with I was going to say with tongues, because, yeah, there's a lot of scenes in this movie with tongues. But, no, like, in particular, like, the lollipop scenes, of which there are several, I believe. Yes. And then, obviously, like, lingering grotesque shots on him licking his ink tongue. The director's doing something with that there. I understand the lollipops. I'm not sure I understand him. But I don't know. I mean, it's all about the uncle's two primary characteristics are obsession Mm. and artifice yeah he is full-blooded korean but he desperately wants to be fully naturalized japanese so he Mm -hmm. adopts the japanese way of dress and he adopts even what tends to be associated like facial hair style like he has his eyebrows spiked up in this odd way and his hair is supposedly gray because of his age. I mean, the actor playing him is younger than the age he's portraying. And to me, the grayed hair was pretty obviously fake. Oh, yeah. That that's not his real color. I would agree. (laughs) And so I'm wondering if they, rather than try to correct that and make it look more natural, that they left it in as because he's trying so hard to attain this status. Mm-hmm. This distinguished aura. and Right. Plus, age gives you more status in most East Asian countries. You are owed more respect automatically just because you're a few years older than somebody else. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting thought. And you did, you know, I want to touch a little bit deeper into the whole him wanting to assimilate and and join this Japanese culture, which is very much a motivation of the Count as well. You know, the Count, I mean, part of the reason into marrying the niece is not just for her money, but for her name. Like, he wants a Japanese name. Mm. And it's, it's interesting to me. It had me thinking about the way colonialism is responded to in different tiers of society. And particularly on the wealthier side, there seems to be more of an ability and a willingness, if not desire in these guys' case, to assimilate into that new culture and to become a status within that new culture, where if you don't have the money to cosplay a different culture and buy up rare books and do all the things that you know the uncle is doing, you might not cotton to a Japanese occupation quite as nicely uh you might not have the opportunity to do so so just kind of have me thinking about that yeah well and when you're extremely poor it doesn't matter who's in power you're still on the bottom and you're still gonna scratch for whatever you can just to get by they're literally 
you know, Suki is the heroine of the story, or at least the protagonist of the story. And in the beginning, she belongs to a bunch of thieves that are literally selling babies. babies to, yeah. To the Japanese. Yeah, there is a shot that makes it initially seem as if she is giving away her own baby or something like that. But no, they're just selling, what is it, is it Korean babies back? No, it's Japanese babies. They're selling to, Korean babies to Japan. To the Japanese. Okay, to the yeah. Japanese. They're, I mean, okay, I will give it, you know, they are abandoned children. They're abandoned right, right. newborns. And they take care of them. Until they can sell them. And they're selling them to Japanese adoptive families who presumably are going to take care of these kids and raise them and feed them and clothe them and, mm-hmm. you know, provide for their needs, which might not happen if they were just left on the streets. Right. right. But it's still selling babies. <laughs> yeah, it's still selling babies. Yeah. Um, I really like the opening little scene of this movie. Uh, where they're like they're standing there's the rain happening and mm-hmm. the, you know the japanese soldiers go by and the kids are chasing them and then you see suki stand there with the baby and she gives it up and the one girl's crying and it just seems like oh this is this family that's just poor but like daughter has found a chance for a better life or something or maybe she's been sold or something because there's that whole like it should be me and the one girl's crying and then you come to discover not very far in like your first little twist there is like oh no she's like a thief and this is all some part of big elaborate plan and watching that back again for the second time it's fun to see like how that hits a little bit different right the older girl is jealous that suki gets yeah, to yeah. go do this you mentioned the count and i wanted i, I found the count's motivation to be so interesting because he he talks about like i'm not interested in money but i just want to be able to order wine without looking at the price it's like right so you're so you're interested in, in money like he's <laughs> i mean his thing is like i don't care about how much money i just care about being rich it's like yeah man that's uh comfort and status you know the ability to not think about what's in your bank account yeah that's still money though my dude <laughs> it's still money but i understand the distinction in the sense that like i don't know if it's a million or a billion that matters to him you know what i'm saying he, but it's still money mm-hmm. but you either way you can still you know order off menu so right Right. Everybody's got a different definition of enough or comfortable right. enough that you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But yeah. I did want to just add one more thing about the babies. It's just I thought it was kind of bleakly funny, if that makes any sense, during that scene where she's saying goodbye, where it's just sort of casually revealed as people turn one way and the other that they're like just these more and more babies like coming into the shot as they're like you realize the young man is holding two babies but then you realize that he's got at least one strapped to his back and like one of the girls has two strapped to her back and like the older woman has like two or three babies strapped onto her yeah they're all crying as she's leaving yeah, and there's like just, this yeah. godmother that's you know running the whole shebang that that suki calls you know her aunt right whenever she calls back to her words of wisdom when she's talking to hediko and she calls her her aunt and i want i want more on that woman yes yes Buxoon running this like mini crime syndicate selling babies yeah while also like kind of raising young women in the process and teaching them to at least be worldly enough to survive in a difficult situation it's a weird dynamic Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I like that not too much is like spent on it. Like yeah. it doesn't linger on it. It's just like it introduces like here's the deal. And yeah, you come away with like more questions than there are answers, but it's not a focus enough of the film. You're just like, okay, I guess this is just the world that we're operating in. Is that there's this thieves den uh, full of babies. <laughs> yeah. And thieves den full of babies. And stolen goods. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, they they show the um the hair. There's like so much foreshadowing in this movie that uh you really catch on that second time around like the the hairpin that is used to open the staircase that she later uses to uh open up her own lock when she's locked in the asylum yep and then like you know the rope that she finds in a hat box mm. and uh the metal beads that she finds that like later revealed like were used to torture hitiko like yeah there's just a lot of like little things that they show you and on my first viewing i kind of like forgot about them but this time around i was like oh yeah yeah, and, and like for me, I, I'd watch a big chunk of it and then I'd rewatch a big chunk of it again. Even little things like before you understand the second piece of this movie, which is the plot on top of the plot, even having Hitiko pretending to read a note from the Count that, you know, Suki thinks is a recommendation. And in reality, it's like, no, nah, just like show her around, like show her really cool stuff and like let her know how rich you are. Even just that layered in on that second viewing when you watch her act it out as if this is a recommend recommendation letter Mm -hmm. is really interesting so uh let's talk about the structure of the film to me and you guys correct me if i'm wrong i see this movie in three very distinct sections which is the first plot which is count plus suki we're gonna pull one over on hitiko Mm -hmm. and then there is the second section which is Hitiko and the Count are going to pull one over Suki. Right. And then there is the third section, which is Suki and Hitiko are going to pull one over the Count and the Uncle. Is that how you guys would kind of structure it? Or like, David, how would you? Because you put this in our docket. Well, yeah, because the film is labeled as part one, part two, and part three. (laughs) I I know. (laughs) So that's exactly how I would lay it out. But I, I I like how you phrased it of going in these characters, trying to get one over on each other, and who's not necessarily... I, I, side we're seeing, I don't want to say whose side we're on mm. changes, but it's whose side we're seeing the point of view changes. Yeah, yeah, the point of the point of view, and I, I mean it's based on a book that follows a very similar format, where you see it from the like the lowly handmaiden side, who's like the secret thief, and then you know you learn the secret twisted history of the rich girl, uh, mm. and then you know them coming together, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of a cool structure that lends itself to our point of, of multiple viewings. Like, I, I do really appreciate what they were trying to do with it. It makes the characters, to me, much more dynamic. Likeable is a different story, uh, but for me anyway. But it does layer them in a really interesting way, um, particularly Hitiko. And her motivations throughout this and how they change is is fascinating to me. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, I, I mentioned this plot, but let's actually get into the, the meat of this plot, which is that they are originally trying to send Hitiko off to Asylum and take her money and status. And Well, that's the plot we hear about first, I should cor- Right. That's what we hear yeah. about first. Because I think the plot between the Count and Hideko actually comes first, time-wise. Yes, time-wise. Correct, because he goes to her and says, I'm going to bring you a handmaiden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So then there's that, where they have decided that this is a good transaction because Hideko will get her freedom, and, you know, there will be this money and status in it for the Count, 
and they will switch identities and send this poor handmaiden off to the asylum. Hitoko just has to square that with her conscience. And it should be like clear, like for the first hour of this movie, you don't know that that's the plot. Like you think exactly. that you're told right. the whole time that it's going to be Hitoko who is going to the asylum. Because like, that's the part that feels like, okay, we're coming to some sort of conclusion. And I'm like, but I know this movie's got like an hour and a half more. And then they turn around and they're taking Suki. And I was like, whoa, okay, wait, now right. I'm back in. I'm, I'm curious. What, what is going on? Yeah, it really is a hard left turn. Right. Originally, Suki's in because she's been promised. At first, the Count offers that he'll be getting the bulk of the money. The Thieves' Den gets 50000 and... Suki will get to keep the clothes and the jewelry and, and oh, something like 10,000 or something. And then she demands. Okay. I thought it was 10% in clothes and jewelry. Yeah. It's, it's a chunk of change. She okay. demands not just the clothes and the jewelry, but a hundred thousand dollars of her own so that she can flee the country and go somewhere else and start a new life. Right. And then the count's like, sure. Wink. And turns and looks at the camera. No. <laughs> Yes. And then there is this third section, which is that Suki escapes, you know, as David said, you, you utilizing the hairpin mm-hmm. and they team up to pull one over the um, both the uncle and the count. Well, the, right. the pulling one over has already happened as she is being freed. Like it's it's all right. part of the plan because then uh, the count is getting blamed for what happened and uses Mercury to uh, murder suicide his way through that yeah i wasn't expecting a dune scene in this movie because <laughs> like, that's literally what happens in dune spoiler alert for dune um the whole you know smoke and kill both of us thing oh my goodness i mean the count was prepared right like that dude oh, was yeah. ready for not only himself to die but other people to die well that's why he you know he's got this cigarette case with his regular mm-hmm. cigarettes in it plus these two blue cigarettes that he never touches until the end of the movie. But as he's in the car on the way to the uncle's mansion, he smokes all three of his last white cigarettes yes, at the I same time so that yeah. there'll be only the blue ones left in the cigarette case. Yeah. Right. And I love like, cause you think like, cause you know, something bad's going to happen to this guy. Mm-hmm. So in that first viewing, it's just like, Oh, okay. He just really wants to be in flavor country, I guess. <laughs> like he's like, I'm on my way out. Might as well enjoy it all. <laughs> right. Now, this is where I'm unhappy with Hideko is that she basically gift wraps the count and gives him to her uncle because she drugs him and then sends a, le- a letter to her uncle saying, hey, you know, come collect this guy. Whereas theoretically, she could just drug the count and leave the country and the uncle wouldn't necessarily know where they went. And mm. I don't know if it's just to make sure that no one ever follows them that she delivers the count or at least uses him to provide a delay. But she's got to know that the uncle's going to do something awful to him. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit too, right? The whole time, the count being like, Oh, I'm not really interested in you for your body. I just, I'm interested in you for your money. But then of course, like it's revealed that nah, it turns out I, I really like, I'm an all around jerk. I, you know, I, Really, I was interested in your body and all all you need, because like they don't ever say that she's gay, but they say it in broadly enough, say it without saying it, yeah. like, you know, she's never interested in any man, no man has it really ever been interesting to her, but he's still convinced, like, all you need is me, which is bleh. 
<laughs> they set it up enough where it's like, yeah, like, yeah, he just he kind of goes that before, but they make him despicable enough. It's like, mm. yeah, you, you jerk. <laughs> I don't want, I mean, you know, I'm not advocating for death, but I hope you get some sort of comeuppance. Right. What do we think about the count and the uncle being two sides of the same coin? Uh, a question from Nicole here. I was just thinking in that they're both willing to completely sell themselves out to this colonizing country mm-hmm. to get their own ends, you know, to it's both to achieve wealth. I mean, the uncle is after more money for one thing is why he wants to marry his own niece, you know, niece by marriage, but still his niece. And he, because he owns a gold mine already and that's not enough for him. No. So he wants enough that he can buy an entire erotica collection without thinking <laughs> about the price. <laughs> uh-huh. That he also oh, wants to forge and sell. Like he wants to make it seem like he's selling them, but he wants to make the fakes so that he can right. hold on to it because he has, you know, he has a thing about control. Yes. That is very, uh, very clear throughout his whole run. I would say they are, I don't know if I'd go full like, I guess they are kind of two sides of the same coin, right? They're both obsessed with status in different ways mm. where the uncle has the money, but status for him, right, is like this cultural status where for the count, it's about that monetary status. Like he's willing to sell himself out to this colonizing force as long as he gets his money, where the uncle wants a place in society. Right. Yeah. And they're both more than happy to, you know, ruin Hitiko's life to reach their goals. Uh, something I find interesting about this movie is there's an extended cut and I did not realize oh. that. Did you guys, have you got either of you seen this? No, I've only seen I had heard about it, but I did not watch that one. I watched the theatrical cut. Yeah. So apparently it delves a lot more into that early relationship between the count and Suki and like in that like thieves den stuff. So like when I mentioned oh, that I wanted okay. to see more of that, apparently there's a lot more of that in that cut. Huh. And that's the bulk of what that cut is. Interesting. So I just wanted to call that out while we're on the count. Yeah. There's also this other really interesting piece of the uncle I wanted to call out, which is, okay, first of all, this, we haven't really talked about the sex of this movie yet. And like, <laughs> yes, there is a lot of lesbian sex in this movie. But outside of that, the Count has this perverse desire where Hitiko's mother before her and now her read erotica to audiences for the Count. Not the Count, mm-hmm. sorry, the uncle. The uncle, yeah. And... And they have to do it with increasingly like sexual props, and it just, it's really creepy, and they don't get into a lot of it. And the underlying fear of all of it is the basement, and that this man, like, and, and that he is convinced, Hitiko, that he killed her mother, uh, when in reality, did. her mother killed herself. No, no, the uncle killed her. Oh, did she? I yeah. Thought, I thought that's... she actually did hang herself. No, it's no. the... Number one, it, I think her mother died... Her actual mother died in Japan, and okay. no, her mother died giving birth to her. That's right. And then the uncle marries her aunt. Oh, the aunt, um, the aunt is who I'm talking about. The I'm mother's sorry. sister, yeah. right? And My then bad. we think at first that the aunt has died by suicide by hanging herself from the tree, but in reality, later on, we find out that the uncle murdered her and hung her there 
yeah. to make it look like she had hanged herself. That's, that's what I was getting at. But I thought that Hitiko thought that still. That Hitiko no. still thought that her mother was. No, no she, she discovers it as a child because of what she's been reading about how when people die, die by hanging that they soil themselves. Yeah, they void their bowels. Right. Yeah. But her aunt was clean. Oh, now I remember. Okay. Yep. Now I remember. All right. My bad. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and so he goes and shows her the basement, which is full of torture devices, and also an octopus that um, <laughs> the movie very heavily implies some very dark stuff about this octopus. Yeah, it's funny when you Google this movie, and the first like suggestion on Google is the handmaiden octopus. <laughs> like, yeah, right. That, that's about right. Well, it's actually it's bookmaking tools that he uses for torture. Yes, he uses old. Yeah, old bookmaking tools. And also a giant octopus that would not stay in that tank. They are notorious escape artists. There's no way. Absolutely not. (laughs) But it looks really cool and foreboding when we do get to see it. Well, and you get that that sound of it when uh, when they have the flashback. You don't see it until the very end of the film. And there's that sound of water and something moving. And you're like, what is going on in that basement? (laughs) Right. 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 And then at the end, you also get to see his collection. That he keeps down there. Oh, yeah. The the collection. Yeah. Yeah. So not one he can display for other people. That's one he keeps just for himself. Yeah, that's that's all his. And uh, going back to the whole... What they're doing with Mm. the reading and stuff. Like, Japan and Korea are pretty conservative uh, socially societies. Like, pretty buttoned up. So, like... This reading, uh, like, especially back in the day. Mm. And so, like, these readings are pretty salacious. Yeah, for sure. Like, it it might seem pretty tame uh, by Western standards in a lot of ways. They use a lot of euphemisms for things. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, it's pretty underground what's going on here. Because, like, this sort of thing does not fly. Mm. Right. No, that totally makes sense. Right, which makes it all the more thrilling for the guests. Right. And plus, you know, there's also the implication that, hey, uh, you can enjoy parts of this story for the right price. Right. Exactly. And it's, again, uh, capitalism, you know, sometimes the rules don't apply when you're rich. Right. Exactly. You can get out of any trouble you might get into for violating the rules if you have enough money. Mm -hmm. So the very wealthy bidders... The uncle holds these readings and then puts those works up for auction, and the very wealthy bidders are absolutely thrilled to be there, and it's evidenced by how they all cross their legs in the same way uh, <laughs> while they're listening. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. So so this movie is rocking double subtitles, two languages, different color subtitles. Yes. First of all, very cool. I, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen that done, and it really adds a compelling layer to the to the film yeah. as an English speaker because I understand when they're code switching mm-hmm. between languages and they're when yeah. they're using them both at the same time. Let's talk about that, the importance of languages. What do you have on that, Nicole? The number one thing that I found out that I thought was interesting is that you know when the count is lying because he's speaking Japanese. Oh, right. You know, yeah. when he's oh. deceiving people, he speaks in Japanese, and when he's being truthful, he speaks in Korean. Interesting. I, didn't, I hadn't caught that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's also a switching back and forth between classes. You know, most of the mm-hmm. poorer and lower status people speak Korean or right. 
only Korean or primarily Korean, whereas the higher status wealthier people speak Japanese. Mm. And when Hideko has a flashback to when she is a child and she slaps the head, what she thinks is the head maid that we find out later is the uncle's first wife. But she slaps the head maid for speaking to her in Korean instead mm-hmm, of speaking right. to her with the higher status language. Yeah. I really appreciate the, like, there's just a title card at the beginning that is like, hey, this is English, or not this thing, like, this is Japanese, this is Korean, and the movie just just goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But it's like, uh, it, it's great that they did that, because that's so important to so much of the context of the film. Like, if it was just all one color, you would miss it, because sometimes they are switching mid-sentence. Like, they will mm. be right, talking, right. say, a couple of words in Japanese and then, like, continue on in Korean. Right. But it's like, that's so important. Yeah, at the end, the uncle's, when the uncle's in the basement with the count, he's talking to him in Korean and trying to get the details of his wedding night with Hideko out of him. Uh, and he yeah. uses the Japanese words for body parts. Yes, yeah. He swaps out of Korean for that. And it's just, yeah. I just thought that was kind of fascinating mm-hmm. it's another part of his fetish kind of right right and there's also this um whenever suki and the count meet up and and collab on what suki believes to be the plan right the first plan we're made aware of as viewers they immediately switch in the korean which is a little jarring coming from the situations they're both playing the part in speaking japanese and then all of a sudden they're you know sequestered away talking to each other usually fighting and all of a sudden, it's back in the Korean. It adds that additional thematic layer of both of them are playing a part, you know? Mm-hmm. And they can break out of that part when they're together. So, rather progressive film for, for Korea, and no burying of the gays. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of dead straights, though. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, like, uh, the Korea and Japan are still pretty conservative societies, especially mm-hmm. around LGBTQ+. Plus identifying people right. not a lot but of gay bars not not a lot of gay bars and I, and I think japan it's like kind of culturally accepted but still on like a national level still pretty looked down upon on a governmental level still pretty looked down upon uh, like pretty similarly like in korea so for this movie you know to be it, it's it's a lesbian period drama we love those here in the west as well mm. um, <laughs> but uh, but with a lot less Gazing sadly out at the sea, though. I will give them that. <laughs> yes, yes, a lot less of that. Uh, but, you know, for this movie, for them to end up together and bad things happen, but tragedy does not befall them. They get away in the end. It, it is a happy story for two gay people. And that that could only come from one of, like, the premier Korean directors who's kind of at the top of the field, you know? And it's it's cool to have that kind of film. Right. Something I was really struggling with, with with the first half of this movie when they're they're kind of courting each other and we later learn that they both have ulterior motives and it's not as clean as we're led to believe it is. I just don't find them to have any chemistry together. And maybe that's because they're both deceiving each other. But there's something about the first like hour hour and a half of this movie that just really I couldn't put my finger on it. They just didn't seem like into each other, like that engaged. And they, they were the movie was trying to show me they were. And I, I just couldn't find the chemistry between these two actresses. Mm. I don't know. I thought the bath scene was pretty electrifying. <laughs> I was about to say, the bath scene, sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because, like, well, Suki gets, like, really possessive really quick. Well, Suki has a strong maternal instinct. They introduce, like, pretty early on when they're talking about yeah. the the babies, right? And there's the other girl who, like, has had a baby and can breastfeed. But she only breastfeeds her own child. And Suki has that thought of, like, I would feed all of the children of my own. And she talks about how you know, rich ladies are like dolls in so many ways, right? right? right. She has this instinct if she wants something of her own that she can care for and take care of. And she finds that here in this, in this rich lady that she thinks is pretty incapable of a number of things. Right. No, no, that's a good point for me. This boils down to what I talked about at the very beginning of the show, which is that at least for me personally, I think the reason I didn't enjoy this movie as much as others is because I just don't find the, the characters likable. I don't find Suki at all likable in this movie. And I'm here <laughs> for like everyone sucks movies. Like I don't need to have a shining protagonist by any means, but just I was invested in nobody at the end of this movie. They all could have died and I would have been fine. I ah. wouldn't have changed how I felt about this movie. So that's not to say anything about the themes of the film. I just, didn't care about anyone. I wasn't made to care about any of their characters or backstories. I guess I liked Suki because she's this sort of compelling combination of being streetwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also tremendously naive yes. in some ways also. Yeah, right? yeah. Where, you know, she thinks she's in on this plot, but she's also really gullibly falling for the plot between the Count and Hideko mm-hmm. originally. And it's not until they have between the, the first sex scene and then the later scene where they're climbing up the hill, I think, to meet the Count and she stops and they talk about their mothers. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. About it. And Hideko said, your mother loved you a lot, right? She hugged you a lot and took care of you while she was alive. And I just wonder if my mother would have liked me or if she regretted having me and because I was the reason she died. And it's this moment of real emotional truth between the two Mm -hmm. of them. Because I really do think that Hideko has this. I think any child would always wonder if their parent, if their mother had died in childbirth, they would wonder if... (laughs) You know, maybe their parent would have preferred not to and right, would have preferred right. that they were the one who lived and the baby had died. And right. obviously that question can never be answered for them. So, I mean, I honestly think that, you know, while Hideko might originally have thought she could use this story to manipulate Suki, I think she really begins to have feelings for her and want and begins to feel more protective of her mm-hmm. yeah yeah Th- those, those are very good points and and i do like that scene i mean it's it's quickly followed by one of the most insufferable moments of the movie which is where the count's like you brought the wrong paint asshole. run back and get it and you know poor suki has to like run back down the hill to get a different paint for him so we can get rid of her with her giant easel and paint box yeah i felt so bad for her canvas yeah there's just i don't know there's just there's something about there's something about these characters where there's there's not enough of these moments of vulnerability for me to care that much about them i i man i think like i think there there is but it's like it's slow going right because hediko has it is really yeah well because like her whole life people have just been using her right like after her aunt dies 
she is just a, a tool for her uncle and the servants all treat her like the unapproachable thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Plus she's, you know, she's not the nicest to them. Like she's alienated everybody in her life. So then to like encounter somebody where it's like, Oh, this is a, a good natured person that like, mm-hmm. I find myself attracted. Like, of course she would be kind of like slow to want to do that. Cause she still has the count. Right. And she's trying to balance. Like, do I go along with this nefarious plan or like, what, like, what do I do? And, I don't know. I, I like, I like the characters of this movie. I find them complex. I, you know, they're not necessarily mm-hmm. morally sure. good people, but they are complex and interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think the second half of the film and part, parts two and three of the film, if you were, do add some of that complexity to them for sure, because you start to understand more of the motivations of the characters and, um, you start to understand these several twists. Right. Are there any twists we haven't talked about? I feel like we, we've, we've kind of highlighted the, the three main twists, I guess. Uh, it's a very twisty no. movie. It is. <laughs> it is a very twisty movie. That's what I thought the first time when I walked out of it. I'm like, that was a very twisty movie. You know, I mean, filing someone's tooth down is pretty wild. If you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and cutting people's fingers off. Uh, yeah. Now, I thought it was an interesting twist finding out that the head maid was the uncle's first wife. Yeah, that was a good one. That she was still in the household. And no wonder she looks so angry all the time. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you kind of wonder when Suki first arrives about this woman because she seems very stern and no nonsense. And you find then you find out why. It's like, well, yeah, of course she'd be mad. But yeah, is she also being held there? This That's an interesting question I hadn't thought of. Is she also being held there? essentially against her will is she there under threat of being taken to the basement if she tries to escape mm-hmm. the way that hideko is yeah i mean that's a that's a good question right i would assume so yeah i would think so because again the uncle is all about these people and things he can control right yeah and and he's also like the the looming threat of him does not seem to be a secret to anyone in this home you know, he literally calls her over to the car right before he leaves on his week long vacation and says, like, I'll, I'll bring you to the basement, mm-hmm. like right in front of the driver. People know in this home that dark things are happening with this with this mm-hmm. uncle. Right. Although the servants might not know where the basement is because it's hidden under a tatami panel in the library. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That is true. That is true. So some of the sex is sexy and some of it is just male gazy nonsense. Um, my, my thought was like. So just separating my thought from your thought, Nicole, Mm. because I don't love the characters in this movie, I didn't find the sexiness very sexy because I was just like, I don't really like you guys. Like, I don't like any of you. So this isn't that sexy to me. This movie doesn't necessarily spark that for me, but I understand why um, I, I love that it exists. The fact that a lesbian sex scene exists in any capacity and in an open and honest way in this movie is really cool. But yeah, some of it is a little male gazy nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, some of it is realistic and other things, you know. N- God, the thing that bothers me the most is so silly, but and it would apply to sex between any genders. Uh, no one, no one sticks their tongue out first before they get somewhere. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's a bit of an oral fixation in this movie. That shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife just broke out laughing at certain parts of these scenes. So did my fiance. <laughs> right. Well, and yeah. certain positions are 
more effort than they're worth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the male gazy can, nonsense. Can you make that the um? Can you make that the thing on iTunes? <laughs> like the tagline for this. So I, I will say, you know, it's it's a long, maybe overdrawn scene, but I do appreciate the way that we kind of see it two times, right? And we see it from two different perspectives. Mm-hmm. And I love that second time that we see it. Suki is like. Like she's like she's so innocent and like, uh, you know. But then it's like, how do you know all this stuff? Like, you, you must be like, a natural. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> come on, come on, Suki, come on. <laughs> right, and there's her naivete right there again. Is for sure mm-hmm. being able to believe that Hideko is so innocent, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do appreciate. Uh, I don't appreciate necessarily how extended it is in both cases, but I appreciate that. You see it again when it's from Hideko's point of view when she's initially using it to manipulate Suki, but then I think she genuinely enjoys herself for the first time mm-hmm. doing anything like this because she certainly doesn't like yeah. the way the Count touches her. Right. So, and she realizes that maybe enjoyment of sexuality is possible for her. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, it's so it's so drawn out, and there's the <laughs> again. There's at least one position that it's way more trouble than it's worth. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> that's as explicit as I'm going to get about that. But but you're not wrong. I, you know. <laughs> yeah. And at the end, at the very end, there's another sex scene almost by the end credits when that goes on for like longer than it needs to at least the the sounds of it goes on for (laughs) like two minutes and like i remember you know i'd kind of forgotten about that part and then i'm sitting there watching it i'm like oh yeah this is just it's going huh (laughs) i mean it's it comes back visually there's a a visual theme that it deals with in that Mm -hmm. spot and it's a callback to some of the erotica that hideko was reading earlier Right, it's it ha- it has a purpose enough, but it's still like okay, we could have um, wrapped this up about uh, thirty seconds a minute. Again. Yeah, it's it's longer than it needs to be. Yeah, yeah. But, no, I it, mean it, it, it truly is. It does tie into one of the visual motifs that we see over and over and over again, which is these framing and separations between characters mm-hmm. because the way that the shots are done a lot of times it's one character looking at another like through a doorway or mm-hmm. from a distance where they're framed by trees or in a mirror just various ways and that they're separated by like you see when suki and hideko are in the library and I think Hideko hands Suki something, but between that, we see it from the side, and there are these two pillars in between, and there's this gap that looks like you're looking outside, and I'm not sure how that works, because there aren't windows right. in the library, but she passes this book across this gap, and then later, when you see Hideko and the Count in the hotel you see them in two different windows of the hotel from the outside. Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> and it says H-O-T on the wall between them from the outside, from hotel, 
And it's ironic because that's something that is not between them at all. Right. And then at the very end, in the last sex scene, you see the two women just pressed together. There is nothing between them anymore. There's, they meet in the middle rather than being on opposite sides. Mm-hmm. The, mu- the mustache is gone. The fake mustache is gone. The mustache is gone. The gloves are gone. Hideko has to wear gloves through most of the movie because to avoid right. getting the oils from her hands on the books. Mm-hmm. So yeah. she's got drawer after like five drawers full of gloves. Yeah, and the reading room, like the the room where she is reading the books with the uncle and the shot every single time that room appears where it starts at the end of this incredibly long hallway where you enter it mm. and zooms in really quick on the count at the opposite end and uses the giant hallway as this giant frame for the shot. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautifully shot film. I say this every single time we talk about these movies, but I, I'm so happy that, like, this is an Amazon production. I, I am so happy that this kind of budget is being funneled into these East Asian filmmakers by Western companies to get, you know, uh, more people watching these things because they're so incredibly talented. Right. It's shot by Chung Chung-hoon. Okay, cool. Right on. And David, I did want to mention really quick, you know, you mentioned in our docket, you would give it some points for focusing on female pleasure, even if it goes over the top. It, it, it's a movie like it's, you know, there is some male gaziness to it. 100%. Um, mm. But it is nice that at least it's like, again, like the, the, the sex we do see in this movie is that like these women are enjoying themselves. So even if it's ridiculous, you know, it's not sad scenes and one of them's not dead. And by the end, it's like, hey, they they get to enjoy themselves in this movie. Right. <laughs> right. I'll give it that. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it that. And I do like that some of it is played for comedy. Oh, a hundred percent it is like, yeah, you can't take that. It's like, and what else would the count do? You know, right. <laughs> show oh me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can't, you can't take that scene seriously. No, which, which no. does help with how and I have not seen blue is the warmest color, but I've heard about blue is the warmest color. And I, I feel like this kind of takes that. It's like, but what if it was a little bit funny? Yes. <laughs> um, even though you hate to see books and art destroyed, it felt cathartic uh, to have the scenes where they were. Yeah, you know, the the books there, I, I will say, have cultural importance. Whether, mm-hmm. you know, the quality of them aside, given the, the cultures there, like those kind of stories have cultural importance. So to have the scene where Suki and, um, and Hitiko are destroying the library entirely, there's part of it's like, ah, man, that's like, it's important stuff. But also like, given that they were tools of abuse... Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, yeah, do it. Throw them in that in that little pond and pour paint all over them. I'm I'm into it for sure. Right. And some of them are considered important historic literature, like that painting that the count is copying mm-hmm. is famous. It's called the Dream of the Fisherman's Wife, the one with the woman and two octopi. Mm-hmm. And that's that was done by Hokusai, the guy who made the Great Wave off Kanagawa. That. Yeah. Super famous. I don't know if it's a woodblock or if it's an actual paint painting, if it's watercolor, but he made a whole book of erotic drawings. And like in the background of every single one of those drawings is the story. It's a lot of people don't notice that there's writing on those pictures, but there is. (laughs) (laughs) It's supposed to be, you know, narrating the encounter to the reader. You know, and they're considered to have literary merit, you know? For sure. 
for sure. And it's, but it, the way that it is done in this film is like they are abusive. Absolutely. Tools. And, I, and I like that the movie does not does not make moral judgment on the quality of, uh, especially not from this director, <laughs> could not make some moral no. judgment on the no. on you know what is inside of those pages. But, you know, as weird and wild as Old Boy is, you, you cannot deny the film. Also, as an octopus. <laughs> That's true. Also, yeah. Uh, you cannot deny the, I, I guess, filmmaking prowess of mm-hmm. John Wook Park or, or Park John Wook. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, and absolutely. One thing I know we're, we're kind of winding down. I will say this movie has one of the best posters mm-hmm. of all time. Like the way that the poster is composed is masterful uh, once you right. see the film. Absolutely. Yeah, even though it wasn't necessarily to my taste, I, I certainly wouldn't deny that, that Park is one of the most important directors working today. That, mm-hmm. that this is, it's a beautiful film, even if I didn't love the characters. Um, and it's exceptionally well-written. The layers, the twistiness is, is <laughs> impressive. <laughs> Very impressive. I believe that's so. the third layer is additional. The original novel, Fingersmith, by Sarah Waters, is set in England, and I believe it only goes to a double cross. It's this version uh, that adds the triple cross. Oh, nice. Okay. I Yeah, I started reading the Wikipedia entry, but it's one of those ones that's a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> I got bored and left. <laughs> yeah, somebody really wanted you to understand uh, every little bit of this film. Right on. But I I do like that he keeps the... Or book, I guess. The English title of this movie is kind of also a double entendre, the way Fingersmith is a <laughs> double entendre. Fingersmith is a an archaic British term for a pickpocket, a petty thief, as a fingersmith. And you can, you know... The, the erotic activities could, that could be <laughs> seen in a different light. And I think Handmaiden could also be seen in a different light. Hey, well, the, the film in, well, the actual translation of the title is like Lady. Right. It's uh, Agashi, yeah. which I think is g- close to Milady. It's like a young woman of status. Yes. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just I just Googled Agashi and uh, Andre Agassi came up. So, <laughs> you know, you might want to add in like film when you're Googling that one. Right. Yeah, right. And on that note, The Handmaiden, final thoughts. Uh, not for me, would recommend the others, though. I thought it was very interesting nonetheless. Nicole, you enjoy this film, I believe. Any final thoughts on, on The Handmaiden? I do. I think it's beautiful to look at. I think it's mm-hmm. admirably structured. I like the characters, or at least the two women characters, yeah. especially when you find out their respective backstories. I like how they structure the triple cross. I like what happens to the uncle. <laughs> I like to think the octopus got out of its tank and finished him off later. Um, <laughs> nice. But it is... It's a little too male gazy in parts in that, you know, the sex scenes are a little more extended than they really need to be for narrative or symbolism. Yeah, I'll agree with that for sure. Yeah. But outside of that, I do think it's an extremely well-made film and I would recommend it to people who are comfortable with sexuality 
on screen and a little bit of violence at the end. Or uncomfortable. Make yourself comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ch- challenge yourself if it would make you uncomfortable. <laughs> right on. Uh, David, any final thoughts on your pick? Um, I will say I still stand by this film. I think everything Nicole said uh, is absolutely 100% true, that there is uh, reasons to not roll the eyes, but to be like, okay, like we could have done that a little bit differently. But this movie also ended up on a number of critics lists as the best Korean film of, of the 2010s, like even above parasite and whether or not, you know, that standing holds is totally up to personal taste. Um, but I will say like, it is a culturally important movie, mm-hmm. I would say. And so I think it is absolutely worth watching. Just keep in mind what uh like what we're saying here like there's going to be some times like don't watch it with your parents um <laughs> but yeah that's how i'll say it. don't watch it with your parents yeah hard pass on that i would not advise watching any park channel movie with your parents Abs- absolutely not <laughs> yeah yeah i'd agree with that having seen old boy at least but yeah um this this yeah <laughs> agreed agreed very 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 much agreed well uh we'll go ahead and wrap up a reminder next week is you did this to us we are watching moonfall a quick teaser for next week i just read on wikipedia that this is one of the most expensive independently films ever made because it was self not self-funded but roland emmerich had to go around and collect a ton of money including up to 15 million dollars straight from the german government oh man in order to make this 146 million dollar monstrosity there's so much i want to say about it already i yeah. know the casual that is a star wars movie that is like two star almost two star wars movies worth of money oh my god and, and it wasn't worth it. The casual attitude everyone has about the events happening in this film is going to <laughs> boggle your mind. All right. Well, check it out next week. Can't wait. Can't wait. Moonfall. Uh, where can you find everybody online? David, what about you? Davlas, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. And Nicole. I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Podcast. Very good. And you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. If you want to follow all of us on Twitter or Facebook, wherever you want, social.mgrpodcast.com is the place to go. But we will see you next week with You Did This to Us. It is Moonfall and a teaser along with the other teaser, Movie Ghoul Rounds coming back this year. I, we haven't publicly announced that, and I don't know that many people that care, but we very much <laughs> care. And it's the time of year when the most people listen to the show. So we're very excited to bring Movie Ghoul Round back for what, like year four now? So yeah. expect that in your feeds in October. Very exciting. More to come on that online. But we'll see you next week with Moonfall. Moonfall. <laughs>